Today on the Traffic Club of Chicago podcast series, we're going to be speaking with Randy Lewis, uh, supply chain industry executive and advocate for those with disabilities. Um, as senior vice president of supply chain logistics at Walgreens, Randy bet his career and created a inclusive workplace one of, for one of the biggest uh, corporations in America. Um, so with that, we're going to start in, and my name is Justin Sordo, and uh, like I said, I'll be interviewing Randy Lewis today. So Randy, thank you for joining us, and a uh, few questions to start, but if maybe you could give us a little bit about your background and why you decided to be an advocate for those with disabilities. Well, in my uh, professional role, I was uh, at Walgreens. I was vice president. I was senior vice president and chief supply chain officer in charge of uh, about 20 distribution centers and a large private fleet, getting the merchandise from our suppliers to our stores. And I had that job, I started that job in 1995, and I was able to hold it for 16 years. So I got to see a lot of things during that time. Mm -hmm. And at the same time, probably pretty close to that time, my son was, diagnosed with autism so i had two challenges in my life this this job that was challenging fantastic we were a growing company uh all the things that you would want in a job great team great future great challenges interesting work but the other side of uh the life the family side we had uh two daughters and a son and when our son was three he was diagnosed with autism so Probably about the time I came to Walgreens, 92, he was probably about two or three, just been diagnosed. And that kind of puts a cramp on your, uh, what you might have planned for the rest of your life. And I had ne I'd never had any exposure to children with disabilities and certainly not autism. It was something we knew about and something that we feared, but we didn't have any experience. And one of the first things that uh, you go through is kind of the death of your child not the literal death, but the death that you have dreamed. You know, you, when you have a child, you think, well, they're going to do this, and I'll have baseball games, and we'll have campouts, and we'll do this, and they'll grow up and have a family and all those things. Well, those kind of just went, went awry from day one. So you're trying to figure out what's going to happen. Mm -hmm. And surprisingly, one of the first things you think about is a job because you're wondering you know with their typically able kids if they're going to go to school they're going to get a job and fit right in that's something that's not a given for a child with a disability so that that weighed heavily on me and uh i've probably thought about that about every 10 seconds for mm -hmm. a few years and it became once every couple of minutes and every five minutes now it's probably only about three times a day. But all through that time, uh, we were hiring a lot of people and I thought this would be a great place to, why don't we hire people with disabilities? Sure. So we did that. And uh, what it really made me realize is thinking about all those people in our stores. You know, retail is a tough business. Mm -hmm. It doesn't pay that well. And, I, and we had 
most of our 200 and something thousand employees work in the stores and I was thinking about them. And I'd be laying in bed at night looking at the ceiling and thinking, gee whiz, disabilities plays no favorites. They've got to be people out there throughout our company who are laying in their beds at night wondering what's going to happen when when they're when they're gone or what's going to happen when the child becomes an adult. And just from those ideas that we were growing, and oh, by the way, and my son had surprised me all along the way and what he could do, uh, I underestimated him over and over. So we said, let's, let's hire, let's do something different. We, had, we were building new buildings, so we began a hiring initiative, and it turned out to be about a 1,000 people that we had hired within five years, earning the same pay, making the same wage, held to the same standards. Mm -hmm. And now that number is probably close to 2,000, almost 20% of our entire logistics workforce. Wow. You're the one that asked the provocative question. <laughs> no, that's great. Uh, yeah, really appreciate you diving in there. Um, you know, for me, I guess one of the first things that I think about with that is, you know, did you get a lot of fight back from internal stakeholders? I know that a lot of us, you know, we've tried to bring new procedures and, and policies and, and process to the company and help the business, but you, you know, people don't like change. So how did that go for you? And, and what were some of the internal fights that you had? Well, you know, a lot of common question is how did we get everybody's buy-in? Mm -hmm. I think underneath everybody wanted this to be a success. I don't think there was a single person who did not want it to be successful. And it's rightfully so that even, even the board, they wanted it to be successful. So generally, the, the, the biggest question had people ask is, what happens if it's not? Oh, sure. And I remember when uh, we presented it to the board, we gave them the numbers. We said it's going to be our most productive center that we'd ever built to hire a large number of people with disabilities. Mm -hmm. uh, and they said, what if it doesn't work? And we said, well, we try lots of things that don't work. If it <laughs> doesn't work, we'll adjust. Mm -hmm. And they said, okay. And it worked out to be the only thing they said, they said since then was thank you. Wow. And then the stores, the people in the stores, you know, we're, I have to, I can confess now, all the problems that you see in the store with, with an out, if you walk in into a Walgreens store, which probably is what makes customers, frustrates them the most, is come look for something that's not there. That was really my fault. Mm -hmm. And I got invited to speak to all our store managers in Las Vegas, mm -hmm. 5,000 of them, to wow. tell them about this new center we were going to build. Sure. And the disability initiative. So... I went there, and I, it was not a, it's not a very uh, welcoming audience for somebody who's the cause of all their problems. <laughs> so right. I, I, it was some trepidation. I took the stage in Las Vegas in this room, darkened room, surrounded by by five thousand store managers, mm -hmm. and I told them the story. I, I told them about the the center we were building and how good it was going to be and how it was going to make their lives easier and all those things, and they were probably, they weren't interested at all. I could only see about three <laughs> rows into the audience. And those, right. those people were on their Blackberries at the time. Mm -hmm. 
But when I told them that we were going to hire a bunch of people with disabilities, be one third of the workforce, mm-hmm. uh, and telling them that something had never been done, the room got quiet. Wow. And uh, and those people that were looked at, looked up for their blackberries, and they literally leaned in to, to hear what to hear the rest of the story. And wow. at the end, at the end of telling them this, I. I, I didn't plan on it, but I thought, well, let's raise the house light, uh, lights. And mm-hmm. I asked people, I said, if you have someone in your family with a disability, or you know someone, or you hold someone in your heart with a disability, mm-hmm. just stand up. Please stand up. Not knowing sure. what would happen. And as I looked around the room, people started standing up. In the end, about a thousand people were standing. And the story no longer was my story, mm-hmm. it was our story. And from wow. that moment on, there wasn't anything that would stop us. Wow. It was our story then, and it, all we did had to do was just not screw it up, so to speak. And we didn't. <laughs> yeah. But, there, well, but at the time, you know, I was getting emails from all over the country, people who were mm-hmm. saying, I want to work. If I can help on this project, I would. Sure. And and there wasn't a stadium in America that would hold all the people who wanted to work on this project. Mm-hmm. All we had to do was give them permission, and that's what mostly it took. Right. Well, so, yeah, at the beginning there, you talked about adapting and having to adapt uh, for the program. So I'm wondering... So how did you modify the distribution centers uh, to adapt for this new initiative? Or, you know, you just spoke about the managers. So how did, how did the managers have to adapt their styles for this initiative and for the people? Well, on adapting the, the center, we didn't, uh, it was going to build a new center. It was going to be a new center with, with new uh, technology. Uh-huh. Uh, the, the DC was going to be brandly new design. We were going to re- have to redesign the automation anyway. Okay. And we didn't, and we didn't know about disabilities. And one of the things, to, if we were going to do this, we we had to remember that we had shareholders that are challenged. You know, we have all the challenges of the business, so we were not going to spend anything extra to do it. So all we did on the design, we weren't disability experts, but we thought as we were redesigning something, what can we do to make it easier for people who may be short or or tall or may have mm-hmm. Uh, difficulty uh, standing or uh, may have difficulty reading. Maybe instead of our screens uh, with all the words on it, we took a lesson from uh, fast food and put, use pictures and use touch screens, things like that on on the physical side. On the manager side, because this was going to be a new building, what we did from the start was look for a manager who was very good who was people focused, but also very results focused, mm-hmm. and and pick the right leader. And, and he and he happened to be a he. He was very excited about the you know the, the challenge of it. He had no experience with people with disabilities either, but he was a great leader. Mm-hmm. And we and he would meet. And we and we told all the managers when we hired all the managers and transferred. We told them that this was this is the first time this has ever been done anywhere. Right, and that it was not going to be a program of the month that we were going to do one third of the entire workforce, 
and they were excited about it, but they were kind of worried too, what if it didn't work? And I think having the right leader in place that believed in it, and so, and he would, uh, he passed pass his hat around, hat around so on some meetings. They'd meet at the end of each day when we were starting up, mm-hmm. and people would put their questions in there, and they and uh, because they didn't want to feel like they'd be embarrassed to have you know say their questions, so he put them in a hat and drew them out and answered them, kind of one by one. Right. And sometimes he would say, "I don't know. I don't know the answer to that. I guess we'll have to wait to see if it comes up." Mm-hmm. And and most of the problems that our people anticipated did not come up. Just like me worrying about my son getting kidnapped or my son falling down in a well or mm-hmm. all the not learning how to read or never speaking or all the things. Most of the things we worry about are things that don't happen. Things that do happen we didn't think about. Sure. Goes with the... Uh... I guess adapting to what you uh, which you find out you didn't really know or have to worry about. Um, you know, and you talked earlier that that, that adapting and, and this is the interesting thing that that adapting made that group of managers our best group of managers we'd ever had, and that's something wow. we've observed in our other buildings. Working with wow. people with disabilities made us better in all facets of our operation. Right. Um, you know, actually, that that brings up a point. I remember you spoke about a, a while back when I heard you. Is uh, you talked about uh, KPIs and, and measures of success and how you measured everything throughout the whole initiative. And you know, as you were proving it to different people how how well it was working. And one thing you mentioned was safety and how safety went uh, uh, got much better as a result of the program. So maybe could you elaborate on that and, and tell us how you figured out that was, and, and maybe some of the other uh, measurements that, that you didn't realize early on. Well, well, one of the things when we, we did this and presented it to the board, we said we're not gonna give up anything on productivity and efficiency mm-hmm. and all our business objectives, safety, productivity, quality. Yep. So we went in knowing that we were gonna measure all these things, and so we could you know make sure that we were that our goals aligned with mission and we were able to achieve it, we found out that people with disabilities performed the same. So productivity was the same. Quality was the same. Uh, Retention was better. It was almost twice as much retention. Now that may not be surprising because you think people with disabilities, we probably don't have a lot of of other opportunities for jobs. So that kind of made sense. so and we didn't have the turnover retention. Absenteeism uh, was was less with people with disabilities. We would have a like when our we our Ohio building had the ter- Ohio Turnpike uh, closed down. Our people with disabilities there called in and said they were going to walk to work. Uh, we had one time when they they rented a hotel room next to the distribution center so they could walk in the next day. We don't don't have a lot of typically able people doing that. But that mm-hmm. kind of surprises. And safety, safety was a real surprise because if I talk to people about doing this, one of the first objections I will hear say, oh, yeah, but we're, we have lots of hazards and we have lots of uh, issues and safety is, is a concern. What if they stick their hand in the machine or what if they walk out in front of a forklift or what if they, you know, all the things we conjure up in our minds. Mm-hmm. Well, we found out that people with disabilities 
work safer, have fewer accidents, and have less severe accidents and less days off than people without disabilities. And we we kind of thought about why is that? And we discovered a very important secret. People with disabilities follow the rules. <laughs> it's as simple as that. And, if, uh -huh. and uh, another thing we noticed, we had lots of we have lots of uh, incidents reported by people with disabilities, but they're not serious. For instance, we, we will tell somebody, uh, oh, by the way, if you get nicked, you know, or scratched anywhere, let us know. Well, mm -hmm. typically able people, you know, they just blow that off and don't. <laughs> so that what we found out, people with disabilities, they would tell us we'd put a Band-Aid on it, we'd fix it. So all mm -hmm. the little hazards, we cleaned up a ton of little hazards because they would report things that people, other people would say, ask too minor. <laughs> Oh, that's great. Um, yeah, so I guess for me, another point that uh, you brought up previously uh, with us was um, about, you know, once your your program was successful, you had all these other uh, competitors in the industry or other companies that wanted to learn what you were doing because from what I remember seeing, you were all over the place. You know, the media was covering this like crazy. So. Um, could you tell us what you did about that? Because I remember you saying you brought you brought other companies and competitors into your warehouses and distribution centers and showed them what you were doing, which I thought was pretty impressive. Um, certainly, when we when we did this, we used to never let anybody in our facilities, mm -hmm. and it was because either we thought we were so good and we didn't want our competitors to know, or that we were so bad we didn't want our competitors to know. So it was one of those two. <laughs> We would never let any competitors in, but when we did this, we made the announcement that we are going to invite other companies to come in and see for themselves, and we were even going to conduct boot camps, two-week boot camps if they wanted. They could send their managers there, and we would teach them everything uh, we knew about it, let them see for themselves. And I think that gave it a lot of power. I mean, I think with that gave people the idea that we're doing something. This is not just about being a good competitor. This is doing something better. This is beyond just you know be, being a competitor and success in that arena. And a lot of companies came. They would uh, some would come for a day, some would come for a week. And I think by seeing it, that's what opened their eyes because it's it's too hard to imagine how can you run a new a new building or and now it's spread through all our centers, so all of our centers now. I think there's 17 distribution centers now. So it works in buildings that are not automated, highly automated, in large numbers. But they get to see it for themselves. And typically now it's a we do a tour, a one-day tour. People come in and say, come bring your senior management, operating management in. Mm -hmm. HR is going to be important, but it's got to be operations because they're on the hook for the results uh, of the operations. So bring operations people in and let them bring their hard questions. Mm -hmm. And we conduct a tour and it lasts about through the morning. They go out in the building and they typically, the first question they ask after a little bit is where are all the people with disabilities? Right. Because all they see is people working. And we have to say, you're surrounded by them. <laughs> you know, 
and you, if you walk to some people, you can tell by talking to them or watch. If you see them walk, you might notice something, but no, you're surrounded by them. <laughs> and uh, sometimes we let them even work along, work with one of them. And then they realize that uh, they can't do the job near as well as the person with the disability. Right. So you get to see that aspect. And then we take them in and have them meet with management, the management team, frontline management. Right. And have them ask, the, we call it the Las Vegas room. <laughs> Bring your questions, ask the questions that you wouldn't want to ask anywhere else. And what stays mm -hmm. here, stays here. And they ask, what's it like to manage here? What's a good day like? What's right. been a problem you've had? Uh, how has it changed you? What's different? All the, any question anybody wants to ask. Mm -hmm. And... Uh, a lot of companies have come. I suspect that we've probably had, oh, probably over 250, 300 tours wow. in the last 10 years. And we probably had 50 companies or 60 or 70 companies start their own initiatives. Big companies, too. Wow. Um, I know that we're getting short on time. I, I just, there's a couple other things that I wanted to ask you um, that, that I thought about right away was, um, you know, everybody's talking about technology and automation these days, and especially in the centers. Uh, how is that going to affect your initiative and, and your program there? And, uh, you know, obviously throughout a lot, a lot of things are going automated and, you know, maybe job cuts here and there, but what do you see happening to the initiative? Oh, I think it's still going to be regardless. Having, mm -hmm. Total number of people may go down, mm -hmm. but uh, I think the the goal has been 20% of the entire workforce, no mm -hmm. matter how big or small it is. Gotcha. Just because it's having a disability doesn't mean uh, doesn't make a difference because the performance of the people is the same, and yeah. and they have a positive impact on culture. They bring more meaning to the workplace and reminds people, gee whiz, I have to be considerate of each other. I have to be specific on my explanations and all those kind of things that make us better and make for a better teamwork and everything else. So only will impact the total numbers. It won't affect the percentage. Yeah. I, if I can remember correctly, I think that you uh, mentioned that you know, as you were starting, and this might have been an you know, adaption you made to the program, as you were starting, you know, you noticed that only certain jobs um, were people with disabilities. And then as you got into the program and really dug deep, you made sure that every job had, you know, the initiative working through it. Is, is that correct? Uh, that's correct. When we started, okay. we, we, we hired for all positions, but we brought in large numbers in our group and uh, anticipating where we had large numbers of people. In our case, It'd be split case picking, you know, lift brake pack picking, mm -hmm. uh, receiving, decant. Those are those are very labor intensive, and we initially had lots of numbers in those. But uh, what we discovered, we have people working in all the functions. We have a deaf, a deaf customer service rep who deals with stores, which is, and we hired her in local management. Hired her not because she was deaf and would, you know changed everybody's paradigms. They hired her because they thought she was the best candidate. Sure. And she was a huge success. All right, we have one of the best HR people who has uh, CP. We mm -hmm. wouldn't have hired her had we not been looking because 
we would have worried, could she get out of the building quick enough? She has what she calls her sexy walk. Could she get out of the building fast enough? And she has her sexy talk. And people understand her. And of course they have, they understand her because she has something to say when she speaks. Right. But it, it, it took a life of its own and opened up, uh, it opened up possibilities that I never imagined possible. And so we, we learned a lot during the experience. And everybody else, other companies done it. I've, they've never gone back. They've all gotten bigger. I talked right. to UPS or I talked to Toyota or I talked to Best Buy, you know, mm -hmm. the other companies that have done it. They're, they're going bigger. Wow. Sephora is going to put is in a process of a huge rollout across it's all of its DCs across the United States too. Mm -hmm. And they're finding the same things we did. Great wow. workers that make a difference in the culture, make them better. Mm -hmm. That's yeah, it's amazing. And uh, like I said, when I, when I heard you speak the first time and then I, I read your book, no greatness without goodness, uh, it just, it puts you in a different world and, and gets you motivated to kind of do something yourself. Um, but I, I know we're getting short on time. Um, so I, I do want to thank you for your time today, Randy. And also, could you tell our audience where they might be able to uh, purchase your book or, or follow you to hear more about it? Uh, the book, No Greatness Without Goodness, they can find that at Amazon, mm -hmm. in paperback or in uh, hardback. And if they uh, want to find out more about the program, they just go to nogwog.org, N-O-G-W-O-G. It kind of shorthand for no greatness without goodness, nogwog. Because when we were writing the book and talking about it, that's a lot of words to remember. <laughs> so that's how we came up with the website, nogwog.org. Well, that's great. Well, yeah, thank you so much for your time today, Randy. This is it was great to speak with you again, and I do recommend the book to anybody out there listening. So uh, we'll have a link posted on the Traffic Club of Chicago website as well, so you can go out and, and buy that on Amazon. Um, but thank you for your time, and um, you know this is a, a great conversation. Thank you. Thank you, Justin.